Hi, my name is Rhett Barden, and I'm the lead pastor of One Life Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. At One Life Church, we exist to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. For more information on how you can be a part, please visit us online at olc.church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome again to One Life Church. If this is your first time joining us, my name is Rhett. I have the honor of being the lead pastor here at One Life Church, and I get the pleasure of leading alongside the most courageous, uh, most bravest woman on the world. This is Miss Linda Barton, everybody. Uh, this is my wife. Yeah. And so... I'll tell you in a moment more why she's standing up here, but uh, I want to do something before we get started today. We do this every Sunday. I want to encourage everybody in the Nampa Civic Center to throw your hands together and welcome our online church family right now. Come on. Let them know how much you love them. Yeah. You're our family. We love you, and we're so glad that you're along for the ride today. Uh, We are in a series called Asking for a Friend. Have you guys been enjoying this series so far, everybody? I hope it's been a blessing. Uh, And so we're continuing that series today, um, but I want to remind you that we are a message note-taking church. What does that mean? It means we love to take notes here at One Life Church. Uh, We want to inspire you. We want to encourage you on a Sunday. Uh, But more than that, we want to put into your hands some practical tools from God's Word to be able to live this thing out Monday through Saturday. If notes are a part of your life and you're enjoying those, can I hear a good amen from you in the room today? And so if you want to have the notes alongside you, I would encourage you, if you're in the room, go to olc.church. Swipe down. There's a big button that says message notes. Click that and open it up. You can save it as a PDF. You can fill in the blanks. It's a lot of fun. If you're joining us online, you shall see the notes right there under the screen or off to the side for you. All right, you guys. Well, as you know, uh, my wife, Linda, is standing up here with me today because we all have the privilege and honor, my friends, to get to hear a word from the Lord from my wife today. She's bringing forth part four of this series. I'm going to let her tell you all about it, but I want you to know that this is, in my opinion, not only the most beautiful woman in the world, but the most courageous, bravest, and uh, person who I love with all my heart and all my soul. I know many of you in this room, you're here today, not because of me and my preaching, you're here today because she remembers your name. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Thank God for people who can remember. I will never forget your face, I promise. But it may take me a little time to get to know your name, so don't judge me according to the standards that my wife sets, okay? She's amazing. So many of you are here today because of that, but um, she's an amazing woman of God. And this past Easter, uh, we asked some questions, and she's going to be answering one of those questions that you asked. I'm going to let her go into all the details as to why this morning, but can you do this if you're in the room? Can you put your hands together? Can you show some love for my wife, Miss Linda Barton, as she brings the Word of God today? Awesome. Oh, good morning. Well, that was so kind. We might as well pray and go to an early lunch. I'm really excited to be here today. Sunday is my favorite day of the entire week for multiple reasons. I love setting my week off correctly by honoring God with the very first day of the week and letting him know you are most important in my life and I'm going to give you Sunday and I'm gonna honor you with it. I love coming together and worshiping with all of you. There's something so powerful when believers gather and lift their voice and clap their hands and shout to God. I just am always more encouraged. I can do that at home, and I do, but I feel more encouraged when I'm with you and we get to do it together. But I also love getting to hug your neck and getting to catch up with you and seeing how life is going for you. You know, I'm not in your small group right now, but I want to know how your life is going. And so Sunday gives me that chance 
whenever we walk in and I get to remember your name. If I forget it, please don't hold it against me. But most of the time I remember. But I'm so excited to be here today. Um, As Rhett mentioned, at Easter, we had a response card and we asked you, what do you want to know about? And I read every card that comes through, especially at Easter, but I read all of them because I want to know how I can be praying for you. But we had about 300 cards come through at Easter and I read every single one of them. And they all really impacted me, but there was one that stuck out to me more than any and I actually couldn't stop talking about it like for weeks. You can ask him. We would go to lunch and I would be like, oh, man, what do you think? Wow, that was, oh, I just felt this deep connection to this question, partly because you asked it, but partly because I've lived it. And I just wanted to come and share my experience and what I believe God's word says about the topic of doubt. Can you be a believer and experience doubt? Can you have an authentic relationship with Jesus and have doubt creep in. So let's just start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. <laughs> if you're singing, you begin with ABC. <laughs> if you're a musical fan, you're going to know that sound of music. But let's just start with the definition. Doubt is very simple. It's a feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. And that sounds really simple. Oops, sorry guys, I'm a little, I'm getting used to this. It's my first time. It's really simple whenever you just explain the feeling, isn't it? It's a lot harder when you're living it or carrying this weight of doubt. And as a believer, you're not sure, can I I even feel this way? And we're going to find several examples in the Word of God that says we can. And we're going to see several ways to walk our way out. So I think the first thing that is helpful is to list a few things that might cause you to step into doubt. This isn't an exhaustive list. It may not even be your list. It's my list. (laughs) This is the list I have lived through. So if it doesn't apply to you, that's okay. Think about the things that are leading you into doubt. And I believe that the ways out will apply regardless of how we get there. But number one, we don't think God does the right thing. Mm, That feels hard, doesn't it? (laughs) Can we actually think that maybe God didn't answer the way we should, he should have? Maybe we've been praying for a physical healing and it didn't happen. Or we've been hoping for a relationship to be restored and it didn't come through the way we wanted it to. We've been praying for provision and it just doesn't look the way that we wanted it to look. We've experienced deep loss or deep pain. Like we just, sometimes we just don't believe that God did the right thing. And that's just one way that I have found myself into doubt. But another way I found myself walking into it is I tried to believe and it didn't work. <laughs> I did try. Lord, I tried. I did everything your word said and I, it just didn't work. And I think a lot of times it's because we have expectations of how things should look. Or maybe we lost confidence because when we prayed, we just don't think anything actually happened. Maybe we, didn't, we don't feel like we even got an answer. So we tried, but it didn't work. We're going to talk about these more in just a little bit. But I, in my study, I actually found a surprising reason. I didn't expect this one. So this is one straight from our uh, Bible. Like We've read the, read the story, and I'm going to go into it. But maybe doubt can creep in when life is going really well. 
That's kind of a surpriser for me. Oh, life is great, and I am doubting. Like, I'm walking through great times, miracles are happening, and I still doubt. But if we look at Matthew 14, 28, we're going to find Peter. And Peter was one of the disciples. He hung out with Jesus for about three years. He saw great things. He experienced miracles. He was part of miracles. In fact, right before we jump into this scripture, we see Jesus and the disciples feeding the 5,000. Now, that's just counting men. If we count the women and the children and the teenagers who eat for three, it was like 15 to 20,000. I have a teenager. I know. I have a teenage boy. I know. So like 15 to 20,000 people, and Peter is there. He's one of the disciples who's feeding 20,000 people with a snack. Like, I think it's a miracle to feed that many people with a commercial kitchen and a staff. But they had a snack, and they fed all these people, and they had leftovers. So Peter is part of this experience. And then Jesus says, okay, we're going to the other side. So you guys hop in a boat. I'm going to go pray. I'll catch up. So the disciples are in a boat on the water on a lake. Jesus has gone off to pray. And it says in the fourth watch, like 3 to 6 a.m., they see a ghost walking on the water. And it turns out it's Jesus. So we're going to pick up here, Matthew 14, 28. Peter, suddenly bold, said, Master, if it's really you, call me to come, to the, come on the water. And he said, come ahead. Let's do this. So jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on the water to Jesus. But when he looked down at the waves churning beneath his feet, he lost his nerve and he started to sink. He cried, Master, save me. Jesus didn't hesitate. He reached out. He reached out and grabbed his hand. And then he said, faint heart, what got into you? Another definition says, why did you doubt? Not only did he just help feed 20,000 people, but now he's literally walking on water. He is in a miracle with Jesus. And there's only two recorded people who have ever walked on water. And that's Jesus and Peter. Literally a high moment in a miracle, and doubt creeps in. So if life is going well and doubt is creeping in, you are not alone. <laughs> You're in good company. So maybe you've accepted a job promotion and you expected the pay raise or the good things that were going to come from it, but there's like so much good coming at you and so much new coming at you that it feels more like water churning beneath your feet. Things are going great, that I'm experiencing doubt. Peter did too. So maybe God, you've been attending a small group. Let's, let's bring it into our life for a second. Maybe you've been attending a small group and you kind of have this nudge, kind of want to lead a small group. Ooh, feels a little scary, doesn't it? That's big. That's hopping out of the boat. But when Jesus invites you, when he puts a nudge inside of you to take a step in a direction, He's with you in it. You know, it might feel like water churning underneath your feet, I know. But he still invited you. So regardless of where you are, highs or lows, you can be in either place. It's okay to have doubt and to still be a Christian. So whether you're a believer or not, you've probably heard the term doubting Thomas. And this is where we're going to move into the, oh, the downer ones that I talked about a little bit ago. 
But honestly, if you talk about doubt at church, you have to talk about doubting Thomas. It's like a church rule. You've got to bring Thomas into this picture. So Thomas was one of the disciples. He was in all those experiences I just talked about with Peter. And he spent about three years with Jesus. He ate with him. He talked with him. He traveled from town to town. Like, he knows Jesus. You travel, like, we travel with people three days, and, like, we know them. This was three years. Thomas knows Jesus. He saw all these miracles with his own eyes. He's part of them. But he also experienced a really great pain and really great loss when Jesus was crucified. So Thomas and the other disciples had these expectations. Remember, we think God's not doing the right thing. We've experienced loss. We've prayed. It didn't work out. They thought Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans and rule Israel, kick all the bad guys out, and we're going to have heaven on earth, y'all. That's what they expected. But God had other plans. They were eternal plans. We know that now, being on the other side, but they didn't know that then. So I can imagine that Thomas was devastated. Here he is. He's thinking he's hanging out with the ruler of the world, and he was, but it didn't look like he expected it to look. So we're going to see what Thomas did in his deepest moment of doubt, and how he made his way into belief. So we're going to pick up at the moment where Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, resurrected, and now he's showing up to people, just popping into walls and all that kind of stuff. And there's like 10 recorded moments of Jesus appearing to his disciples. We're going to look at one of them, where Jesus appears to his disciples, except for one, Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. So let's look at John 20, 24 through 27. One of the 12 wasn't present when Jesus appeared to them. It was Thomas, whose nickname was the twin or Didymus, in case you're looking for a baby name. That one's up for grabs if you want it. Didymus. So the disciples informed him, we have seen the Lord with our own eyes. So he's not only hung out with Jesus for three years and has no reason to doubt, but he's also hung out with all these guy friends for three years and as far as we can see, doesn't have a reason to doubt. But still unconvinced, Thomas replied, there is no way I'm going to believe this unless I personally see the wounds of the nails in his hands, touch them with my finger, and put my hand into the wound of his side where he was pierced. Ooh, That just felt like a line in the sand to me. Like, ooh, Thomas, that was bold, and I don't know if you can do that. I don't know if you can tell Jesus that. Mm. And I almost imagine the disciples were like, whoa, dude. Oh, like if lightning was going to strike, this would be a good moment. But Thomas knew Jesus. Thomas spent years with Jesus and witnessed many of these miracles Why was this one so hard to believe? I don't know. He saw Lazarus come back from the dead. Why are we having a hard time believing that Jesus has come back from the dead? We don't know. But I'm really glad that he went through this because it has helped me so much. There's been times that I have responded to situations in my life just like Thomas. I have drawn the line in the sand. I've decided what my answer needs to look like in order to believe Like Thomas saying, I have to see this, I have to see this, and that's how I'll believe. 
And I'm guilty of that too. I've drawn the line in the sand. And I'm going to share a story, and it's about our infertility journey. And I know that's a very sensitive topic. So if anyone is struggling with that today, I want you to know that just because of how God has answered me in that moment doesn't mean that it has to be your answer. But I'm going to share it because God met me in a really painful moment, in a painful moment that I was really experiencing some doubt. Like, I don't know if you're my healer. I don't know if you're good. It was really painful. So when we first moved from Texas to Birmingham, Alabama, Max was about two years old, and we're getting settled into our new city, our new life, new job, like all of the new. And now we're feeling settled. I'm like, okay, time for more babies. I, like originally, I wanted six boys. I know. See, sometimes we don't know what we're praying for. <laughs> sometimes God does answer prayers. <laughs> But that's what I wanted. That's what I thought I wanted. Ooh, I'm sorry, y'all. So we're, we're in our new city, and we're not getting pregnant. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to go talk to the doctor about this. We're going to get this worked out, you know, basically. If you know me well, like, we've got a plan. We've got to stick with the plan. Don't break the plan. So we go to the, I go to the doctor. We do tests and scans and blood work. And, you know, we do about five months of injections and medication and checkups. Like, I was at the doctor every other week with Max, and like, he had his own little snack lunch pail that we would take, and he would just carry it in, like, oh, this is what we do now. We go to the doctor with mama, that's fine. And about a week before Christmas, the doctor called me. We were out driving around looking at Christmas lights with Max, and he called, and he said, hey, Linda, he's from the South. Hey, hey sweet girl, hey, I just want you to know that we have done everything that we know how to do. And here are some next steps. Now, those next steps were out of our budget, out of our comfort zone, and we didn't have peace with it. So it's one of those moments like you just kind of shrug your shoulders and it is what it is. Type things, you don't really know what to do with it. You're not happy with it, but you don't really know what to do with it either. So I just kind of sat on it, ruminated on it. It was not pretty. So the following Sunday, you know, it's Christmas season, so everybody, everybody else is happy. That's how you feel when you're going through it. They're all happy, and I'm the only one who's miserable. So I'm going to church. It's just Max and me in the car. Rhett is serving at another campus. I don't even know where he is. I can't remember, because it was all about me. <laughs> so I'm in the car, and for about 10 minutes, I just let God have it. I'm mad. I'm angry. You said in your word that you healed me, that Jesus took stripes. Like, I, I, it was hair, teeth, and eyeballs between me and Jesus that morning. And I stomped into church, practically tossed Max in the kids' class. It's like, Mama needs to be alone for a minute. And I stomp all the way into church. Mm, so mad. I sat through worship. I didn't even stand up. I was so mad. I'm not proud of this. But then, as I'm sitting in this auditorium, and I could, if we were in that auditorium right now, I could point to where I was sitting. I could tell you who was speaking. I can tell you the name of the series and the topic of the day because God met me that day in that chair, in that auditorium, with our pastor speaking in a series called Financial Peace on Earth. It wasn't even about healing. It was about money. God can use anything if we let him, okay? Okay. 
So I'm sitting there and the pastor gets to the point in the message where he talks about Paul learning to be content in all things. Mm, I know you felt it too. Mm. And it's like I felt heard, making up new words today. The Holy Spirit asked me, will you be content with the size of your family? And I wanted to say, nope. I told you what I wanted on the way in today. You already have my order, just fulfill it. That's how I felt. But I knew I was in a really special moment. God was asking me a question. I railed against him all the way into church, sat down, and he came closer. I was honest all the way, all about my doubt, all the way in, and then he came close. And I wrestled for a minute. And I knew that ultimately, I wanted peace more than I wanted my way. Because I knew how I felt on the inside. So I said, yes, I will. I will be content. And God healed me that moment. He did not heal my body. We never got pregnant. We didn't take any steps farther. Like I was like, I'm content. God did not heal my body that day, but he did heal my heart. And I walked out whole and complete and content. And I was a different person when I picked up Max. And he's probably like, oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) The crazy lady is gone. We should come here more often. So when we pick up back with Thomas, Thomas has just said, I won't believe unless. Oh, I know how that feels. But eight days later, pick back up in our scriptures. All the others, Thomas and all the others are in the house. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus suddenly stood before them. Peace to you, he said. Then looking into Thomas's eyes, I love that. So up close and personal. Jesus is so good. Put your finger here. Go ahead. Here, put your hand into my wounded side and see for yourself. Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. So I mentioned earlier that Thomas knew Jesus. We don't really see a good reason for doubt, but I also want to point out that Jesus knew Thomas. Jesus had spent three years with Thomas. And also, he's the son of God, so he knows all. But he had spent three years with Thomas. He knew how Thomas thought and felt and processed when they were in difficult situations, because it wasn't all unicorns and rainbows. Like, people were angry about what was going on, too. Jesus knew how Thomas thought and felt and responded. And I just think that God is that good to think, you know what, in about 2,000 years, Linda is going to need some help from my word, and she's going to need some sort of word from me about doubt. And I know Thomas, and I'm the one who's the author of the word, so I'm just going to go ahead and let this be an example to to Linda, because she's going to need it. I just think he's that good. And the Bible doesn't say that. That's just what I think about Jesus. And God knows where you are, too. He knows exactly where you are. He knew where I was in that auditorium in Birmingham, Alabama, and he heard my words. He heard Thomas's words because he comes back and repeats them word for word. Like, here, Thomas, I heard you. I know. Here's this. Here's this. I see you. I hear you. 
And God sees you too. He knows right where you are, and he knows exactly what you're struggling with. And I think that that's why David said in Psalm 34, 4 and 6, talking about being open and honest with God, I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fear. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my trouble. What I love about this is that David is honest. He was desperate, but he didn't stop talking. He kept going. Lord, this is what I'm going through, and I need you. And just like he did for Thomas, and he did for me, and he will for you, Jesus saved me from all my troubles. He shows up every time. So let's go back to Thomas, because his response is so great. Then the word spilled out of his heart, you are my Lord, you are my God. Our belief has to be personal. It can't be built on someone else's experience or someone else's faith. My Lord, my God. You know, there are those, uh, Jesus responded, Jesus, Thomas, now that you've seen me, you believe, but there are those, that's us, who have never seen me with their eyes, but have believed me with their heart, and they will be blessed even more. That's us. We believe in our heart. We don't get to see with our eyes right now. We will when Jesus comes back for us or we go to heaven, you know, on our own, whatever, however it works out. But we will see with our own eyes. But right now, we believe in our heart. And we are, more, we are blessed even more. Jesus went on to do many more miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't even recorded in this book, which actually just makes me want to get to heaven even faster so I can hear more. Like, tell me more about that. Because if it didn't fit, I still want to know. But all that is recorded here is so that you will fully believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the Son of God, and that through your faith in him, you will experience eternal life by the power of his name. All of this was recorded for us, for you and for me, so that we will fully believe. And we get to experience eternal life when we do fully believe. And that's our hope for you here is that you fully believe. Maybe you're on the fence. That's all right. You can hang out before you believe. No worries. Wherever you are, you're welcome. But that's our hope for you, is that you will fully believe. But maybe you're still riding the struggle bus, like I still hop on sometimes, and you're wondering, how? Like, I am still really deep in doubt right now. Maybe this is your morning where you tossed your kiddos in the class and you stomped in and you need to hear from God. <laughs> Maybe that's your morning. I don't know. But I do know that God knows. So how do we move from doubt to belief? Well, again, this is a personal list. It's not exhaustive. And I really do believe that Thomas kind of mirrors this and shows us. But number one, I like to remember God's faithfulness and share my story I love to share my stories because it reminds me of how good God has been to me. In other words, remember how God showed up for you, how he answered your prayers, and then brag on him. Let us know. In fact, I challenge you to think right now. Where has God showed up for you? Think about it. And then when you hop into small group, y'all, I just got to tell you that Jesus showed up. And here, I don't care if the story is 15 years old. I don't care. Brag on when God did show up for you. I know we still have doubts and struggles. I get it. But when we remember, it strengthens us. So I'm going to tell you one of mine. It's actually one of my favorite stories now that it's over and I lived through it. 
But back when we were living in Texas, we, this is before we moved to Birmingham. So we've been married about two years. We have a six-month-old little roly-poly Max. He was a little pudge, and he was my favorite squishy. We lived in this tiny little one-bedroom apartment. Like, we had one bedroom, and we put Max's crib in it, and then the other half of the room was storage. And we put our bed in the dining room, and we could unload the dishwasher while sitting on the bed. It was super efficient. We didn't have to walk around that place. Like, you just walk in, whoop, there you All done. I made it, I made the rounds in two, like two seconds. We were living that Dave Ramsey lifestyle. If you know, you know. Like one night we'd have rice and beans and the next night we'd switch it up and have beans and rice. We were like, gazelle intense. We can do this. We had one car and Rhett drove it to work every day. And I was a stay-at-home mom because we had one car and I had to stay at home. I didn't even have a bus pass. Like there was no leaving. I was at home. And we kind of came to this point where we needed diapers and formula the same week. That's like 50 bucks back then, 25 on each. I don't know what it costs now. If it's more than that, please don't tell me. But we needed both. And typically, you know, one week you buy this one and the next week you buy that one. So you're constantly like cycling it. You don't feel it as much. But for some reason, we needed both this week. And so Rhett comes home from his third job. He worked like an office job, and then he taught lessons like vocal and music, and then he delivered pizza in our big red suburban that we moved out here with, and all the staff call it the pizza bus. (laughs) And it always smelled like pizza, and it was never my pizza. Because if it wasn't rice and beans, it wasn't on the plate. So he comes home exhausted, smelling like pizza that I didn't get to have, and I tell him, like, I'm worried. I'm scared, actually. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. And I tell him, um, I need $50 to buy diapers and formula, and we don't have it. So I just need you to fix it. It's basically what I was saying. Like, hey, husband, could you be Jesus and just fix this right now? Of course he couldn't. He collapses into bed and tells me, baby, The Bible says that God's children will never be found begging for bread. I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Bread's like less than a dollar. Does it say anything about diapers and formula in there? Because that's what I'm asking for. I know bread like 50 cents right now. I know we can go buy that. I don't need bread. Max can't eat bread. So he rolls over and goes to sleep, which makes me mad, but he doesn't know it because he's sound asleep. It was so fruitless. There wasn't even a point in being mad. He, wouldn't, he didn't even know. So I sleep fitfully. I'm, I'm scared. How am I going to feed my child? And what am I going to do about the diaper situation? Because I only have like four towels. I don't really know. I'm trying to figure it out. So the next day, he gets early. He gets up early and goes to work, takes the car. You know, it's like day after day I'm at home. And around 11 o'clock, right before lunch, someone knocks on the door. And I was like... Max and I are here. I know Rhett's at work. I don't know anybody else here. There was no family. I didn't have a small group. Nothing. So I cautiously crack the door, and there's a box sitting out of our apartment doorstep. So I grab it really fast and rush back in. 
We did not live in a sketchy area. I was just always afraid. <laughs> so I grab it real fast and run back in and open the box. And inside the box are clothes and shoes for Max and a $100 check. I know. Some family member that we never talked to, like it's rare. You might see him at a reunion every 10 years or so. They lived in Huntsville, Alabama. And a week before God, God knew I was going to be scared. And a week before I actually needed that $100 check, he started putting it on someone's heart. Hey, hey, maybe you should send some, some things to Rhett and Linda. And thankfully, they were obedient. So they packed up a box. They labeled the box, shipped the box. And back then, it took two days to get something from Alabama to Texas. I don't know how long it takes now. But that's how long it took then. So the day, literally the day I needed diapers and formula, God sent $100 to me. So I just like to brag on him. It never happened that way again. God has provided in other ways, but I've never had another box show up. I mean, if it does, could it have my size in it this time? Lord, I need clothes and shoes and $100. It never happened that way again. God has always provided, though. And the reason we tell our story is because of Psalm 107, to let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Tell your stories. Think about the times that God has come through and then tell someone else about it. Lord knows we need some great news right now. Go ahead and flood your social with that. Go ahead and call a friend and be like, let me just brag on God for a minute. I know it's 10 years old. I don't care. It's still good. Tell your story. Why? Why should we do that? Because in Romans 1.11, Paul says, For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. But I also want to be encouraged in my faith. When I hear your story, I get encouraged. I'm there cheering with you. I'm like an Alabama cheerleader. Woo, let's do that. And then when I share my story, I think you're encouraged too. It's mutual. When we share, we encourage. When we share, we encourage. Share your story. So what do we do when we're dealing with doubt? Number one, remember what God has done and share your story. Number two, if you're taking notes, realize it's okay to not know it all. Again, this is my list. This helps me. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, there are some things that the Lord our God has kept secret, but there are some things he has let us know. Now, as a child, I hate that because I want to know it all and I want to know it right now. But as a parent... I see the wisdom in this. So one of my highest personal values is to never lie to our son, Max. It gets a little tricky around Christmas. <laughs> but it's my high, one of my highest personal values is to always tell him the truth. And sometimes the most honest answer I can give our son, Max, is I will tell you when you can know. And honestly, sometimes I feel that way with God. He has kept some things secret and some things he's let me know. I may never know why God didn't heal my body and chose to heal my heart, but that's okay because I serve the God who does know it all. And I can either demand answers or I can serve the one who has them. It's my choice. I get to choose. 
So if you're not a believer yet, or maybe you're not really sure like where you stand with God, here's point number three, but it's actually the first step for everyone in this room. It was my first step. It is your first step. It's to receive God's grace. Jesus met Thomas right where he was. Jesus came to Thomas. Jesus came to me. Jesus is coming to you and issuing an invitation. Will you receive my grace? And Thomas's eyes were open, and he declared, you are my Lord and you are my God. Jesus showed up to Thomas when Thomas doubted the most, but Thomas didn't stay there. See, he accepted what Jesus was offering. And there's historical record that tells us Thomas was an apostle to the country of India. He went on to plant seven churches there. And now there are still Christians living today who can trace their biblical lineage all the way to their ancestors who gave their heart to Jesus because Thomas came. Someone else's salvation is on the other side of our obedience. When we respond to God's invitation, we have the opportunity to change lives. When you share your story, you have the opportunity to change lives. And when you realize that you don't have to know it all, that you serve a God who does, you can save lives. It's fine. We just introduce them to the one who does know it all. So as we close, I'm going to, oh, hold on just a second. Let me back up. Psalm 94.19 says, When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. I'm sure Thomas needed that renewed hope and cheer when he was traveling to India to be the first guy there. But as we close, I'm going to share a story. We have a picture of a man by the name of Charles Blondine. I think I'm saying that right, but if you're related to him, need to correct me. See me after service. He was a tightrope walker in the 1800s, and he actually would tightrope walk over Niagara Falls. If you squint, you can kind of see the people on the bridge, or maybe I just need glasses, I don't know. But, you know, if you've seen one tightrope walk, you've probably seen them all, which he realized, so he started making them even more daring. So one time he went across on stilts, and this tightrope, it's over Niagara Falls, it's 1,100 feet long, and 160 feet in the air. That's, that's not just a little thing to do. So he went over on stilts. One time he had people tie him up in a sack and he crossed the tightrope walk all the way there and back. One time he carried a stove to the middle, cooked an omelet and tossed it to a boat below. He, he thought of it all, like there wasn't anything he wasn't willing to try. But this particular picture shows us the time in 1859 when he decided to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope with a wheelbarrow. So he goes all the way across and all the way back. And he comes back and he asks the crowd, do you believe that I could cross this again with someone in the wheelbarrow? Oh, yes, we believe, yes. The whole crowd goes wild. And then he says, great, all I need is a volunteer. My knees go weak just thinking about it. I don't do heights. This is high enough. And of course, the crowd goes silent. But this is a beautiful picture of faith in Jesus. I believe, yes, I believe you can. And actually putting your faith on Jesus. I will get in the wheelbarrow. And look how tiny that wheelbarrow is. 
That is putting faith on something, isn't it? So I'm asking you, where are you today? Are you in the crowd and you believe that he can? Or are you in the wheelbarrow because you're ready to put your faith on him? So the very next step is I'm going to offer a moment for you to respond to his invitation. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for who you are and for sending your son to pay for our sin so that we could have a relationship with you. And today, we take this moment and we search our hearts and ask ourselves, are we in the crowd believing that you can? Or are we ready to put our faith on you and take our next steps with you? I'm not gonna call anyone down front or embarrass anybody in any way. But if you're ready, and you're ready to put your faith on Jesus, would you just raise your hand and wave at me a little bit so I know? I'm just here to pray with you today. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right, we're going to pray, whether you say it out loud or in your heart, the most important part is that you believe. God, today, I take this moment and I put my faith on you. I receive what Jesus did for me at the cross. And the words that are spilling out of my heart right now are you are my Lord and you are my God. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to help me every day put my faith on Jesus and I'm gonna live my life for you the very best way I know how. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you celebrate with those who just made a decision today? While you're celebrating this morning, can you also just honor Miss Linda one more time, my beautiful wife? Way to go, babe.